I came from a beautiful neighborhood. I had a beautiful life. I went to sleep because September 7th was the first day of my high school year. I was going to be a senior. At 22, I was set to start college. I woke up and my life was never the same again. Cops came out with guns drawn and I never saw freedom ever, ever since after that. It's like Roach Motel. Once you get in, you're not getting out. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Wrongful Conviction. This is our holiday episode, which we are calling a very special Wrongful Christmas. Um, <laughs> Samantha Knox laughing. I would like to introduce our guests. Each one has a very unique story, but they all have one terrible thing in common, which is that they spent years upon years in prison and holiday after holiday in prison for crimes that they didn't commit. Jared Adams... An exoneree from Wisconsin. Jarrett, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate being here and having a platform to, to talk about anything involving wrongful conviction and criminal justice reform. Yes, and you are certainly you certainly have a unique perspective on it. I'm looking forward to to talking more about that. Jeff Deskovic, an exoneree from New York, who served uh, almost 17 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show and happy holidays to you too. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays, uh, Jason. And 
Last but not least, we have someone who you'll recognize. I'd like to introduce my friend Amanda Knox. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And happy holidays. Happy holidays. So before we get into talking about what holidays are like in prison for someone who's innocent, I want to talk a little bit about each of your cases so we can begin to understand the psyche, the psychology that was going on when you were, when you were stuck there. Mm-hmm. Jared, let's start with you. I'm from Chicago, and, and I made my way to Wisconsin by making a stupid decision as a kid. Um, told my parents I was going to spend a night over a friend's house, and we uh, got in the car, and we made a trip up to Wisconsin, which borders Chicago about an hour or 15 minutes out, and we went to a college party. And we went to the college party, and we did what college kids do. We, you know, experimenting with, with, with drinking, with smoking, and, and sex, and we were ultimately accused of a sexual assault that never happened. You know, the allegations were made up uh, out of embarrassment by this girl. And the thing about it was the police knew from the very beginning. We were accused of sneaking up a flight of stairs, gang raping a girl and fleeing the building. But there were witnesses, you know, from students who saw us and, and saw us from a timeline from basically like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. So the allegations were false. The police knew about these witnesses, and we didn't have all of the information and the statements from these witnesses to be able to prove that, you know, it was it was impossible time-wise for us to be participating in a gang rape and fleeing the building. So ultimately, two of us ended up being found guilty. And the difference between the two out of the three was I, along with my co-defendant, Dimitri Henley, we weren't able to afford a, uh, an attorney. We were given public defenders. My other co-defendant, he had an attorney, and his attorney was litigating and fighting it all the way, filing appeals and saying, look, there's not enough evidence to charge these boys with a rape. There's nothing but an allegation, and they shouldn't be able to bring this in court. Our attorneys were like, well, no, you know what? Look, we don't think they did it. There's no evidence. Let's go to trial. It was a dangerous decision, which was motivated by them, because as public defenders, they don't get paid unless the case is closed. So their incentive for rushing and going to court unprepared was, let me get this case closed and let me get paid. While the other attorney, who was a paid attorney, he was on retainer and he was in no rush to serve us up on a platter, basically. We ended up being found guilty, being found guilty and sentenced to serve 20 and 28 years, respectively. I had an additional eight years add on to my, my sentence because at the sentencing hearing, you know, I refused to, to, to be sympathetic and admit to a rape that I didn't commit. And the judge told me that I was being um, not, not being remorseful. And she gave me an additional eight years in prison. This eight years and the significance of it sent me to do uh, time in, in a maximum slash super maximum uh, correctional facility. And I got there and in the first year, it was just like an out-of-body of experience. I am you know got to the point where it was like, look, I wasn't mad or angry anymore for the fact that they didn't believe me, right? I was more so angry and upset at the fact that I'm sitting in this prison. I have a mother, aunts that raised me. I'm accused of a ridiculous crime that has no evidence. And the only reason I'm here is because I couldn't afford an attorney. And more importantly, because my accuser was white and we were black. But eventually you were uh, exonerated. Yes, with the help of the Wisconsin Innocence Project, I was exonerated and, and released. But uh, after over serving close to 10 years in prison, um, the, the last bit of the story is my co-defendant, although he was released, his record wasn't expunged because he missed the deadline. So here it is. The co-defendant in my case is released, but he still has it on his record for him missing a, a, a deadline to file it, the same motion that I filed with the Innocence Project to get me out. 
And it absolutely makes no sense at all. And of course, one more thing, I can I can never tell your story without uh, talking about the incredible uh, turn of events that led to you clerking in the same courtroom where you were exonerated. But now, I'm very proud to brag about you for a second, Jared. Now Jared has just started his job as an attorney with the Innocence Project in New York. So we'll give you a little Thank round you, of applause. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you. Um, so let's go to you, Amanda. Sure. Um, a month into my study abroad program, uh, one of my roommates was found um, raped and murdered in her bedroom in the apartment that she shared with me and two other Italian roommates. And um, four days later, I was arrested for having participated in her murder. Um, I was led through a very coercive interrogation that um, led me to believe that I had witnessed the murder and had suffered amnesia and knew who the killer was. And presumably that person would have been my boss, who I was supposed to meet that night for work. What ended up happening was a when DNA came back at, um, showing what had happened at the scene, it came back having nothing to do with me or my boyfriend, who was my alibi, or my boss, who had an, his alibi as well. It had to do with a local burglar who was known to break in, enter, carrying a knife. And instead of the police saying, oh, we made a mistake by arresting this girl and her boyfriend and her boss, what they did was they took my boss out of the equation and put this burglar into the equation saying that I had manipulated uh, these two young men, my boyfriend and this local burglar who I didn't know, into raping Meredith, my roommate, and then allowing me to murder her. And uh, it took four years for... Um, for me to get out of prison, and another four years for the case to finally be resolved and for me to be exonerated. I was convicted, then acquitted, then reconvicted, and then finally the Supreme Court overturned that conviction and definitively found me innocent. Yeah, and it's quite stunning um, watching the documentary, which I thought was so brilliantly done, to see just how... Um, how the evidence was so badly mishandled, how the whole procedure was so badly mishandled. And of course, your case became such an international um, uh, uh, story, uh, a tabloid headlines everywhere. Yeah. And I, that's, you know, I think that in, in a very real way pre precluded you from getting justice because, I mean, in theory, they could have still done what was right. But we know that in smaller communities especially uh, when a case gets a lot of attention from the press and there's you know there's a spotlight shown on it it makes prosecutors and others actors in the system less inclined to uh, accept evidence of innocence and and basically admit that they were wrong yeah now we'll turn to Jeff Deskovic Sure. At uh, age 16, I was uh, arrested for a murder and rape, which I did not commit. Uh, and the arrest was based upon a coerced false confession, uh, which they obtained after interrogating me for six and a half to seven hours. This was in Westchester County here in New York. 
Uh, I turned 17 before the trial started, and despite a pre-trial negative DNA exclusion, which showed that semen found in the victim did not come from me, I nonetheless was wrongfully convicted based upon that coerced false confession, prosecutorial misconduct, fraud by the medical examiner, a terrible public defender. Um, I was in prison from ages uh, age 17 to 32. I lost all seven of my appeals. I got turned down for parole because I stood on my innocence. Ultimately, I was exonerated through further DNA testing with the assistance of the Innocence Project via the DNA data bank. And uh, not only was I exonerated, but the actual perpetrator was identified and subsequently arrested and convicted. You speak of it so eloquently, uh, but almost matter-of-factly. And the idea that you were interrogated without a lawyer, without a parent, without a guardian, you were 16 years old, um, you were threatened with physical violence, and... and It was the false promise also, you know, that they promised me that if I did as they wanted, that they would stop the interrogation process and that I was not going to be arrested. That was a dynamic also. And the other thing I want to share, Jason, with the audience is that they drove me from Peekskill, which is in Westchester County, they drove me out of county to Putnam County to deliver me into the hands of a polygraphist who conducted this procedure, which he himself referred to as GTC, you know, get the confession. Oh, <laughs> uh, shoot. Right. And and they promised you that if you signed the confession, you would go home and be able to stay in your in your own bed with your mother. Well, they promised me, if, yeah, if I confessed, they'd stop. But just so everybody understands the outrageousness, though, just even beyond what we've already said, the, the interrogation was not videotaped. It wasn't audio tape. And there was no signed confession. It was just the officer's word, which allowed them at the trial to omit the threat and false promise from their testimony. What is also really uh, important for us to highlight is the idea that because of this false confession, you were convicted in spite of Of the the fact that you had DNA evidence. In cases involving juveniles, false confessions are amazingly common, uh, disturbingly common. And the idea that a jury would disregard scientific evidence that you could not have been at the crime scene uh, because of a, of a confession is something that, you know, I just want everybody to reflect upon for a second because that is, you know, that, that can never happen again. Uh, to kind of jump ahead in terms of what I'm doing now, uh, I used some of the money that I won from the lawsuit and I started a nonprofit organization named after me. Um, the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation for Justice, whose goal is to exonerate other innocent people. Uh, in our four years of existence, we exonerated two people, uh, William Lopez, who was wrongfully imprisoned for 23 and a half years. Recently, we exonerated William Hawhey, who served eight years and four months. We're currently trying to raise funds through a website called Patreon uh, in order to hire more staff to assist more innocent people. Uh, the last quick thing I'll uh, mention is um, following in the uh, Footsteps. An example of uh, Jared Adams is here with us today. I'm also in. I'm in law school. I'm one year. I'm in my first year at the Elizabeth Hobbs School of Law in White Plains. And you know, when I saw Jared walk across the stage, mm-hmm. you know, getting his law degree, um, all doubts in my mind because I was going back and forth. Do I really want to become a lawyer, or do I just want to remain an advocate and just have lawyers work for me and work with me? All that disappeared. It was a clear-cut decision. And, and Jeff, it's um, uh, let's give you a round of applause as well because Absolutely. it's fantastic.
I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. (laughs) Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. Can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we have... Uh, 
three different people here, different backgrounds, different faiths. You know, people don't think about as they're going about their holiday business, right? And of course, New York is no different than anywhere else in the country. There's, you know, sales coming up, and then there's all the things you do to get busy around the holidays and buy ugly sweaters for your friends and different <laughs> traditions that people participate in, whether you're, you know, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, everybody has their things. Um, atheist. I mean, even they celebrate the holidays, right? Um, yes, we do. So, <laughs> yes, we do. Thank you. Um, the fact is that there's a whole different holiday going on for the 2.3 million people who are locked up and will be locked up this uh, holiday season. I want to give some insight to the audience about what that's like being behind bars. Amanda, let's start with you. I mean, here you were in, in Italy, right, uh, in prison. Um, how long had you been in by the time the holidays came around, the first time? So I was arrested on November 6th, and, um, and so I was in prison for, you know, about a month, a month and a half before, you know, the Christmas season came around. And, um, I mean, all, all the Christmases um, were largely the same. That first one was particularly uh, fraught with confusion and fear and uncertainty because by that time I was still hoping that all of this was just a big mistake and that I was going to get to go home with my mom. Um, that ended up not being the case. It's um, my experience of the holidays in prison is that it just serves as a reminder of how much life is passing without you and how, um, you know, every year I would call back home for my 10 minute phone call. And um, my, you know, I had cousins who were one years old when I left and they were talking to me by the time I was finally coming home. And um, it's, it's a reminder of how, how much your family is sacrificing for you. My family had to cross an ocean to get to me. And they, it was a, a tremendous sacrifice to them. They, my mom had to come during the winter holidays because she's a teacher and she didn't, she didn't have to go to work. My sisters could come to finally visit me during the winter holidays. And, and we would spend those trying to, trying to feel like we were celebrating something usually by my stepdad making, you know, turkey and bringing it into the prison for me. Um, so I could at least ha take part separately in the family meal. Um, how, lo how long were they allowed to visit you on what we're talking specifically about Christmas Day? Um, well, and not necessarily on Christmas Day. It depended on what day visitation was allowed. So it was usually the day nearest to Christmas um, that they were allowed to come. You weren't necessarily allowed that given day. I was only allowed to see my family for six hours a month, and um, visitation periods were an hour at a time. Occasionally, they would allow us an extra hour. Did it provide you uh, any sort of uh, peace or, or any sort of an escape? Were you able to detach for even that brief period of time? No. Um, it did remind me that there was a whole world outside waiting for me and that the people who cared about me were still there as much as they possibly could be. But we were still in, in the, you know, the visitation room and I was still not allowed to 
you know, uh, we weren't allowed to like touch too much. Like we were allowed to hold hands, but we, you know, we couldn't just stand there hugging the whole time if we wanted to. Like it wasn't allowed. You had to sit down in your chair. You had to sit down and talk because it was visitation. And then when it was time to go, we were allowed to hug and we, they left. So it's hard to even hear this. You were basically not far removed from being a child. At yeah. this point in time, we were just out of high school. Yeah, I was 20 years old. Jeff, for you, you were even younger. I mean, 16 years old. My first holiday inside was spent at, at 17. So on uh, so on Thanksgiving, I mean, they served a meal that was supposed to replicate a traditional um, Thanksgiving meal, except that, you know, the stuffing was extremely, it was so salty, it wasn't palatable. And the, you know, the turkey was processed. Um the guards knew that it was a halfway decent meal, you know, compared to the other fare. And so they rushed us out of the mess hall, barely giving us 10 minutes to eat. Uh, it was a very stressful time. Everybody wanted to use the telephones to call home, but there was nowhere near enough telephone. So it was almost impossible to get on the phone and make a phone call. Uh, I would say the same thing was true on, uh, uh, on Christmas. Um, one of the bright spots there, because it wasn't, I mean, it was horrible, but there were a few bright spots here and there, relatively speaking. So there was a volunteer that used to come into the prison every Christmas, and, and there was a staff person who also would, would come in on what was obviously an off day for them. So those two would pair with the guard, and they would have a bugle, and they would actually play Christmas carols at the, <laughs> at the bottom of the, at, at the, at the first floor of each tier, and so everybody could, uh, could hear it. And uh, as you might imagine, it, it drew a mixed reaction. Um, some of the prisoners, like myself, we, we enjoyed listening to it. It brought back some, uh, you know, good memories, while other people uh, didn't appreciate it. And so they would start yelling obscenities, uh, trying to get them to stop, but they would ignore and, and, uh, and keep going. Sort of a surreal uh, uh, picture that you're painting, right? It, it, it definitely was. The only other thing I'll just want to add is, you know, in my my experience, you know, I I didn't have any visitors on the on the holidays themselves because they were they were all getting together and doing the family thing, and yeah. so they didn't end that tradition to instead for a couple of them to come drive the four hours each way to come and see me in the prison. Yeah, I'm still stuck on this idea of this uh, contrast, right, of the Christmas music with people alternately either humming or singing along or yelling uh, curses and epithets. It was what it was. It was a madhouse. It was a a madhouse. Were the guards, uh, I mean, they must not have been particularly thrilled to be in uh, in prison on the holidays. Uh, Did it affect their behavior in any way? You know, they rushed us, instead of giving us the normal time we would normally be allotted, you know, to eat, they would rush us out. And then the last half of my sentence, I think that some kind of um, policy was changed. And so instead of them allowing us to have recreation at night, they, they, they took that away. They gave us an hour recreation so they could hurry up and lock the facility down so that they could engage in a Christmas party, a Thanksgiving party, a uh, New Year's party, while we were all just, you know, locked in the cage. That's another thing that you really wouldn't think of. But you could tell by the look on their faces that many of them were not happy to be there despite that. And so for me personally, I know a lot of the other prisoners too, we used to walk on eggshells on on those days. The the best thing to do was to try to somehow avoid being noticed at all because you don't want to be the target 
of um, their frustration. Jarrett, what, what was it like for you? I mean, uh, first, among other things, you're in a particularly cold climate. It's brutal cold. Well, well, my first actual holiday incarcerated was when I was first arrested because I couldn't afford to, to get a bail. Like, my family didn't have enough money to get a bail and stuff like that. And so not enough money to get a bail, not enough money to get a lawyer. So I sat there, and basically I, I turned uh, 18 and spent my first— Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff like that while I was in in a jail and it was it was a you know one of these things where it was like I couldn't afford to to get out and so what they did was I live in Chicago so they arrested me in Chicago and they were just extraditing me to Wisconsin so I spent those days in in the Cook County Jail which I, I don't know if many of your listeners may know they can do some research but Cook County Jail is one of the most violent jails there is in the United States and so that's where I spent my first, um, you know, birthday, Thanksgiving and stuff like that, waiting to be extradited. And it's, it's, it's just horrible. It's really no different than than a prison besides it's it's in many ways can be more violent because like everyone is on, on right on top of each other in the county jail. And there's so many people and there's lack of bed space and you, know, you have bunk beds, you know, all out in the day room. And, you know, it's just it's just a different climate. And so what they did in, in Cook County Jail was they would they would push um, they would push a cart in, you know, into the. The, the 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 pod and they would have someone in there who would pass it out and stuff like that but it was nothing to look forward to I mean all of it was a rendition of what you would normally get when you're with your with your family right well when you say they pushed a cart in a cart with what with nothing but food with your food in, inside of it and then it would be on a tray and you know everyone would come by and they would get a tray and you know much like what Jeff was was explaining the it would be a rendition of what uh, stuffing was supposed to be. It would be a hard slab of what turkey would supposed to, is supposed to look like, but it's like it's so processed, you don't know what it is, right? So that alone with the phones being busy, but me personally, I, I just didn't, I didn't even want to make a phone call. You know, I, I just didn't, you know, I, I want, I wanted to block out the fact that, you know, I was in there for, for the holidays, man. I mean, I'm turning 18 you know, there. Um, and everyone kept asking me, like, man, what you doing in here, right? Because you know, I had never been arrested before or anything like that. So it's just like, you know, you go in a place like that and you stand out immediately if you don't know your way around or if people haven't seen you around in a place like that. So I didn't know anyone in there. Um, I pretty much was kept kept to myself, uh, read, you know, watch whatever was on TV. And, and what I tried to do each holiday was I tried to stay up all day day before the holiday so that way I could sleep the entire holiday and get it over with as fast as possible I'm Tamika D. Mallory and it's your boy my son the general and we are your host of TMI new year new name new energy but same old us. <laughs> oh yeah And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, 
and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Collectively, um, you served 29, uh, we did the math before uh, we got on the air, you served 29 Christmases, Thanksgivings, Hanukkahs in in prison. Right. Um, Were there any bright spots uh, at any of those holidays? Was there anyone who, you know, sort of gave you uh, a reason to feel anything other than lonely, sad, uh, isolated? I mean, besides my family, which I, I can't say enough, they they were there for me. Um, one memory that I wanted to share with you um, is uh, 
So there was a priest in my prison who was like my best friend because we would get into so many great, warm intellectual arguments about about fundamental human rights and why women couldn't be in the clergy if they didn't want to and why gay people couldn't get married if they if they want to. And we had so many great arguments about that. And I loved him. And he allowed me to play guitar during mass, which was so it was so great for me. And we learned this. Um, I, I think you'll appreciate this. We learned this um, Jewish song in Italian for Christmas, <laughs> um, which which goes, E sia la pace con noi, E sia la pace con noi, E sia la pace con noi, Avenu shalom, shalom, shalom alechem. And um, so we sang this song in, in mass, and um, one of the things about my prison was it's a woman's prison, and there were mothers there with small children. They were kept in a separate ward, um, and they were allowed to keep their children up to three years old with them. Um, but we saw them in uh, in mass, and there was this one little girl who never, ever, ever talked, ever. Um, but she always made eye contact with me. We, we played, um, and I caught her um, singing that song in the yard once. The little girl. Yeah, the little girl. She never spoke. So, mm-hmm. like, the yard was split off, and there were bars between the yard where people like me were versus where the mothers with their children were. And this little girl was just, like, swinging on a little swing, singing, <laughs> It was really cute. <laughs> so that was that was a really great moment for me, that she had just, like, heard that song and, and felt really involved with it. I so. mean, imagine the day before the kid turns three yeah. and what that must be like for them to be, to know that they're going to be separated yeah, from the their child. Yeah, tried to commit suicide a lot of the time when their kids were taken away. Yeah, I mean, it's that's I can't even process that. Um, And and then the other thing that the musical part of my brain is about to explode (laughs) from the um, my mind is going to a mix of your Jewish Italian (laughs) Christmas song and and the other uh, bugle with the curses. (laughs) And you can't forget, like the clanging of the bars and the sounds of the keys churning in the lock and like all of that just superimposed on everything. The echo of the, the corridors. Jeff, what about you? Were there anything uplifting at all that happened on any of the holidays, a birthday even? Yeah. uh, Later on in my sentence, I think it was from 1999 or 2000 forward. So last five, six years, um, I got a different uh, counselor in the prison, uh, Carol Hillman, and she believed in my, uh, she was one of the rare people that believed in my innocence. And so we would, uh, she would typically call me to her office near near the Christmas um, holiday and, you know, just doing the quarterly. And she would always end the conversation by saying, um, you know, uh, uh, look, t- have have happy holidays, Deskovic. You know, so in her own way, she was trying to be empathetic and, you know, I- humane to me. So that was, uh, that was a bright spot. Uh, I used to enjoy talking to her. I mean, we would get the prison stuff out of the way quickly that she had to do but then we would talk a little bit just as people and it was nice to it was refreshing to have a conversation with somebody you know other than just another prisoner and so that was uh that was a bright spot uh, and jared turned to you look in 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 uh, the united states they purposely 
uh, seclude prisons as far away from the population and normal, you know, not not I don't want to say normal, but uh, the inner city society or where most of the people who they house families come from. So because I'm all the way in Wisconsin, um, they pushed me like three or four hours deeper into Wisconsin for a drive coming from Chicago. So it made the drive almost like four or five hours. So that way, if, if my family was going to come, they, gonna, they were going to have to, you know, get a hotel or, you know, you're talking about people who were reaching the age of being senior citizens with very uh, low income. And so it was hard for me to, to, to ever see them on the holidays except for um, this one holiday when I got the chance to get, you know, my my aunt's um and, and, and my uncle, who, who was my godfather, who just recently you know, passed away um, about a couple years ago, and they came on a bus. And they took a Greyhound because at this point, I mean, driving five hours is just ridiculous to ask of them coming from Chicago and in, in bad weather that they you know, were coming in. Sure. So they came from Chicago on a bus and they visited with me that day. And at, and at that time, they had a program inside the prison I was in where you were allowed to uh, order some things. And just for the purpose of it being the holiday Christmas, they would let you get stuff in. And, and, and the things that they would let you get in were food items. And so in prison, uh, those summer sausages are like gold, right? You know, <laughs> so you get this 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 Christmas pack, and it has all the flavors you can think of: Jason pepperoni flavor, smoked turkey flavor, and it has the different cheeses, the different spreads. So I got that before I knew I had a visit. So I got mm-hmm. it, and I was just so thankful. And I'm calling the 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 the, the house, and and no one is picking up. And I'm like, man, where are they at? You know, I'm trying to get in touch with them. And so uh, I'm laying, you know, uh, on my bunk, and and I'm going through all these summer sausages with different crackers and stuff like that. And they're like, you you got to visit. And so. Uh, I sat there because I was in a cell with someone else and I thought they were talking to him, right? And so then they left and um, they came back about five minutes. They're like, Adams, if you don't take your visit, then we're going to uh, cancel your visit. And so I was like, all right. So I got up like a fireman. I, ju- I jumped off the bed, fully clothed and into my shoes all at one time, right? <laughs> um, I went upstairs and I got a chance to see my, my two aunts and my uncle who had came to see me and you know, I, I sat with them and, and I enjoyed that time because at that at that time I hadn't had a visit. Uh, I want to say in like a year, year and a half. And, you know, it was becoming extremely difficult for me because um, appeal after appeal was being denied and they weren't answering any of the, the, the evidence. They just kept saying, well, your lawyers chose to call no witnesses and chosen no defense theory. So we're not going to go into that and question their strategy. And it kept rubber stamping my appeal. So it got to the point where I became despondent. I didn't want to interact so much, you know, on the phone and uh, and, and, and on visits and look at the, re- the, the, the wrinkles and creases of anguish lined on my mother's forehead. That stuff takes a toll on you. And that's so crazy too, Jared, because the idea that they would willfully push you further away from your family when as a society we we know that everyone's coming back from prison almost everyone's going almost to get out everyone, yes. and you want that bond to remain intact so that people have a community to come back to because ultimately everybody that's in prison that comes out is going to be somebody's neighbor someday and that's the approach that they take in European prisons where they focus on rehabilitation and they treat the prisoners not in Italy but I'm talking about <laughs> I, in the Scandin- I should say in the Scandinavian countries particularly yeah. right, right? Mm-hmm. they have a, an approach where in fact there's one where I've seen a video where the warden uh, uh, talks about that when the prisoners come 
me. He says, you're going to be my neighbors someday when you get out, so I'm going to treat you yes. as I would want to be treated myself. And they actually sing, the, the guards sing a song. I mean, it's crazy, but it's a whole, such a different, and it works much better, but Absolutely. that's another story. And some people may think they take it too far, but well, that's a debate we can have on some other time. But it is true. Like, it's just a very practical measure. I mean, one thing, um, just in response to something that you were saying, that, like the way that we imprison people now, there's this dichotomy where you, you as like a, a social animal, want your your to be close to your family so badly, and you want to stay in touch with the real world so badly. But that's exactly what is taken away from you. And the longer, like as the all as the holidays add up, and as the as the time adds up, you see how your life has gone on a radically divergent path than the lives of all the people that you love, and you you feel like your experience of the world and of reality is so different and so incompatible with what the rest of us take for granted out on the outside world. Like, how then do you expect people to get out of that situation and re-engage with the real world? I mean, it's hard enough for people to re-engage with their families even when they first get out not to mention the rest of the world. It's Absolutely. devastating. Right. It's designed, It's almost perfectly designed to drive people crazy, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. quite literally. But what I'd like to do, the audience that's listening now, mm-hmm. let's say they want to get involved, and let's say they want to bring a ray of light into a prison. I'll throw one idea out there. I'm pen pals with a couple of uh, people now, and I know just from the letters how much it means for them to have interaction, even though I'm a stranger, right. with somebody uh, who's in prison. And but I to think, feel invested in the world and know that people yeah. are invested in you, that makes a big difference. You'd be surprised how, how far uh, a car will go to lift a person's spirit up. Like, I mean, you'd be surprised. And, and just, you know, what, like, like Amanda was saying, look, we can't cage people up like animals, feed them like animals, and then release them and tell them to be human. I mean, that goes against everything that they, you know, you've been putting them through for all those years. So I just think that that um, that what you just said, the communication, the close interaction with, with society. And that will go a long way. Jason, trust me, there are people who search every day for pen pals. They go in and, and look at newspapers mm-hmm. to see people to write. Look, they are in need. They would love that. One idea I had is what if everyone was listening or a lot of people are listening to write a letter to somebody who's an innocent person who's suffering through the holidays on the inside who maybe doesn't have family doesn't have any really reason to celebrate a letter could make such a big difference so here's what you do go to Instagram at wrongful conviction or go to our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash wrongful conviction podcast and you'll get some details and you'll be able to share some some strength and some hope and hopefully even a little bit of joy with somebody on the inside who can really use your help. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1.
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 